Amen. Well, as we've been looking at together here in Psalm 119, we find this longest psalm as well as longest chapter uh, in our Bibles on, of course, the subject of the Word of God. And I think in some ways was kind of thinking earlier how fitting it is that right here at the middle point uh, of the scriptures, we find this particular chapter that God gives to us to encourage our hearts regarding the value and the benefit of God's word. You know, it does seem like, if we were to be honest, that a lot of times the middle point of something is always the most difficult section. A lot of times we can tend to be very enthusiastic when we first start something, right? And there's kind of that initial excitement and novelty. And, and it seems that whatever it is in life, that there's, there's kind of a little bit more of an ease and we can get a good start and there's enthusiasm and that can kind of carry us for a while. And And I think the same could kind of be true of, of the ending, that when we kind of see the finish line or maybe we start to realize, okay, I'm I'm getting closer to the end here and we can kind of see the, the tape off in the distance and, and we're kind of recognizing we're getting closer to the end. Somehow it's almost like we find this second wind and we pick up energy and enthusiasm and we can kind of press forward because we can tell it's not that much longer till it's over. But there's kind of something about that middle section where we're just kind of trudging along we're not at the beginning we're we're not quite sure and we can't really see the end yet but we're just kind of grinding out the center section we're in the drudgery whether it's you know whether it's in a long race there's kind of that wall you hit in the middle you know they talk about marathon runners who hit that wall kind of at that certain section and and I think to some degree that can be true not only in the spiritual life I think that also can be true as well as even in bible reading and So, you know, I can't help but to wonder if it's almost purposeful that right here, really, and if you just look at it, kind of about the center point of your Bible, God takes the time by his spirit to inspire for us Psalm 119, this longest of the Psalms, this longest chapter in the Old Testament, and the longest chapter in the entire Bible to speak to us about all the benefits and the value and the glorious and wonderful things that come to us through the word of God. It's almost as if maybe God says, maybe I better give a little bit of encouragement. If they've made it from Genesis to this point, let me just inspire them in case they're wanting to kind of maybe give up on their through the Bible reading or they're, they're kind of just tiring of Bible study. And so God takes this lengthy section. And as we've been seeing, I mean, quite exhaustively, just one thing after the other, the psalmist under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is speaking of all these glorious things about God's word, the value, the benefit, all the great things. And particularly, it seems the psalmist is saying these things in light of the difficulty of his earthly journey and his pilgrimage, and the hard things that he was going through. And he's spoken even in our last section together, he was talking about how not only was life difficult, but how he was dealing with his own affliction. He said last time in Psalm 119, verse 67, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. And then in verse 71, he went so far as to say, it is good for me that I've been afflicted. In other words, I actually realized there's something good that came out of life getting a little bit difficult. There was something good that came out of some painful experiences. And we mentioned even how affliction can come into our life in in numerous different ways. I mean, of course, we all know the reality of self-inflicted trials, right? We've all been there, done that, where we make a bad decision or maybe a series of bad decisions or mistakes, and then we reap some painful consequences and we find ourselves afflicted and kind of this chastening process of bad choices and and those hard times can can really serve to wake us up sometimes and for some of us that was a thing that brought us to the lord or maybe brought us into closer relationship with the lord or maybe brought us back to the lord and got us serious once again about god's word Uh, sometimes we're afflicted just by normal everyday circumstances just hardships we go through right this is a fallen world there's sickness and disease and stress and sufferings of all different sorts and sometimes it's the trials we go through and the hard times in life that really cause us to get desperate in a whole new way for god and cause us to go back to the word of god and now we're not just doing devotions in the morning routinely or religiously now our devotional level 
towards the Lord has reached a whole new intensity and we're actually reading our Bible, kind of almost searching, God, please speak to me. I am not going to be able to get through this day if you don't say something to me, if you don't give me some guidance or give me some comfort or some promise or assurance. And again, in those times that we're afflicted, sometimes one of the good things that come out of that is it kind of brings us back to really seeking God's word, not just as an intellectual exercise, but because we genuinely want to hear God's voice speaking to us. But the psalmist here is just describing all these wonderful, valuable things that come to us from God's word. If you look with me in Psalm 119, verse 81, we pick up right where we left off last time. He says here, my soul faints for your salvation. Now here, when he's speaking about salvation, it doesn't seem he's speaking about salvation in the sense of eternal salvation. That is salvation for our, from our sin and salvation to be spared from hell through our Lord Jesus Christ, as we often think of salvation, at times the word salvation is used just to imply deliverance. And that's what salvation is. You know, it's deliverance. It can be deliverance spiritually and eternally. But it seems in this situation, he's just talking about deliverance from his hard circumstances, help or rescue from the difficulty that he found himself going through that apparently was really draining him. And not just physically, but you can tell this is draining him emotionally, mentally, spiritually. Notice he doesn't say my body faints. That's one thing. That's physical exhaustion, right? He says here, my soul faints. Lord, my inward man, the inward part of me. And, you know, if you've ever gone through a difficult time or a stressful occasion or a season where things are just kind of really hard in your life, is it not true? It's you may you can sleep all you want, right? And you may have all the physical energy and stamina you genuinely need. Maybe you're still getting six, seven, eight hours of sleep, but yet inwardly you feel like you're fainting your soul. And and I tell you, I can always sort of measure in my life. I'm going to measure when I need to kind of you know take some time off or this and that because I, I start to realize the cumulative effect of just, you know, life and doing what we do. And then on top of that, you know, ministry and, and because I can tell it's like, I'm, I'm getting enough sleep, but I'm still tired. You know, I'm getting enough physical rest, but I'm starting to feel pretty exhausted. And this kind of seems what the psalmist is describing. He says, Lord, my soul is fainting. I'm longing for your salvation. Lord, when are you going to come in and deliver me? I'm, I'm, I'm having a fainting fit here, but look what he says. But I hope in your word. So he says, Lord, my hope that you are going to come to my rescue, my hope and confidence that you are going to deliver me out of this season and bring me to the next thing or bring me on to that promise that I've hung my hope upon is your word. I'm trusting what your word says, not what my circumstances look like. I'm trusting the promises of your word and the truths in your word about who you are. That's my anchor for hope that, Lord, I don't know when it's coming, but I know you're going to deliver me. I know you're going to step into this. You're going to get me through this and get me ultimately out of this. I'm hoping in your word. And wonder wonderful thing to be able to hope in the truth of God's word when everything in your feelings and your thoughts and your circumstances are dictating everything different to you in the message that they're sending. And it's just draining you personally inwardly to have that faith and confidence in the hope of God's word coming to pass because of what it says to us. He says, verse 82, my eyes fail from searching your word. Would to God that we could say that, right? My eyes are failing. I'm using my eyes so much searching the word of God. I'm actually wearing my eyes out. <laughs> he says, my eyes fail from searching your word saying, when will you comfort me? And it seems the idea here, searching the word of God in, in connection to what we're seeing in the verses above, searching the word of God for some timely word from the Lord for some promise from God, for some you know, indication from God that God's saying something to him. You know, the Bible speaks of, of how at times God can speak to us a word in season to the person who's weary. 
And it seems this is what the psalmist is saying. And perhaps you can relate to this. The psalmist is saying, Lord, I'm going through a time here. I'm, it's hard. It's difficult. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like my soul is fainting and I need direction. I need to hear something, God. I feel like I've been in a difficult season. And, and you just start to search the word of God. And that's a great place to go when you're in that condition. And the psalmist says, Lord, I'm searching your word. I'm, I'm looking for some word from you. And he's saying, when, Lord, when are you going to comfort me? When are you going to give me that word? You know, the key is, no matter how long it takes, just keep looking. Just keep searching. Just stay in God's word. God will speak. God will ultimately give to you that word that you need from him, that word of the Lord that comes, the rhema word. Again, the logos is the, the written, declared word of God. But then there is that rhema word, that word of enlightenment where God gives sort of that special word in season where perhaps something just kind of lifts off the page and, and it just speaks in a very direct and a personal way. Just keep searching. He says, Lord, when's it coming? For I have become like a wineskin in smoke. Now, the idea there of a wineskin in smoke is something that's been been tarnished, something that's been subjected to difficult things. If you have a wineskin, you use wineskins typically to keep fluid in, whether it was a water bottle or a wine bottle itself, and the skin was pliable and, and it was able to be flexible. But if it was exposed to smoke, it would dry up, it would lose its flexibility. It would, of course, then, of course, be polluted by the smell of the smoke, which would then taint the wine or the water, whatever was inside of it. So he's just basically saying, Lord, I feel like I've been through the fire and I just feel like that my life has been tarnished and ruined. Yet, he says, no matter what I've been subjected to, I do not forget your statutes. I'm going to keep trusting your word and recalling your word to mind, no matter how I feel or what my circumstances look like. He says, how many are the days of your servant, Lord? When will you execute judgment on those who persecute me? The proud have dug pits for me, which is not according to your law. So he's describing the mistreatment that he was going through, the proud digging pits for him, kind of like Joseph's brothers. Remember, they, they dug a pit and they threw him down into it. Or Daniel. Of course, himself as well, godly man. Where did he ultimately find himself? Thrown into the pit, thrown into the lion's den. Jeremiah, we're told, was lowered down into a pit of mud and refuse. And again, so there are times when servants of God may find themselves in the pits. That's, that's a, not a, a pun, that's a, a biblical thing. Sometimes you may feel like you're in the middle of a, of a pit and like Jeremiah or Daniel or Joseph you just feel in a really low, dark place. And he says, Lord, they're, they're, the proud, they're persecuting me. They're hassling me. They're subjecting me to things. They're trying to do things to make me fall into a pit so that I would be taken out in some ways. He's dealing with great mistreatment in his life. And he says, Lord, how many are the days of this going to go on? How many more days of this, Lord? And, and don't you feel like that sometimes when life's the pits or people are really mistreating you and giving you a hard time and they're, they're, they're putting you in a place where you feel like your life has been lowered into some miserable place like an unpleasant pit and you kind of start to say, Lord, how many days are left of this? How much longer is this going to go on? He says, Lord, when will you execute judgment on those who harshly mistreat me? He says, what they're doing, notice he says, verse 85, what they're doing is not according to your word. Now, take note of that. The psalmist was able to identify error, how? According to the word of God. He describes what the proud had done to him and how God should bring proper righteous judgment upon them and that God would deal with them. He says, Lord, I don't want to execute judgment upon them. Your word says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I'll repay. So he knows, Lord, I'd like to take judgment out on them. Sure, like to execute judgment for myself, but that's not right, Lord, because that's not according to your word. And he says, Lord, what they've done to me is wrong. They're persecuting me. And he says, what they are doing is not according to your law or according to your word. And, and what I love is here, the psalmist reminds us another valuable benefit of the word of God is it helps us navigate our hard times. The word of God helps us, and that's really crucial because when we're in hard times, our emotions are on steroids. Our thoughts are all over the place, electrical circuits firing, and, and if we go by those emotions and thoughts and all that, we can really start to do some really wrong things. 
And we can start to react in ways that are not good rather than responding properly. And it is the word of God that helps us to be able to identify error, what is right and what is wrong, and the ways that God should act in situations rather than us. And he's able to say, Lord, what they're doing, it's not according to your word. What I can tell is they're acting in a way outside of the scope of the truths of your word. And God's word is a wonderful thing in that sense, is that it does help us to identify error when something's not according to the word of God. And that may be all I need to know in a certain situation, or all you need to know is to say, what I do know here is that does not line up with the word of God. That's outside of the scope of God's word. It's not according to the principles and truths of scripture. And God's word helps us to make that identity and to discern those things, whether it's in behavior or activity or what's going on. He says, verse 86, all your commandments are faithful. They persecute me wrongfully. And he says, help me, Lord. They're persecuting me in a wrongful way. In other words, he was innocent, the psalmist is saying, but yet they're, they're pronouncing me guilty. They're, they're harshly criticizing me and saying painful things. Again, persecution is just painful mistreatment. Uh, and so he says, Lord, they're, they're persecuting me wrongfully. There's no just basis. So he's saying, help me, Lord. This is hard to deal with. He says, verse 87, they almost made an end of me on earth, but I did not forsake your precepts. So he says, Lord, it got so difficult. I felt like that they were about to just put an end to my life. I mean, it was just really getting very harsh for him. But notice he remains submitted to obeying the word of God because he says there in verse 87, they almost made an end of me. Now, that's that's about as bad as it can get. But he says, yet, but in light of that, I did not forsake your precepts. Again, he allowed his life to be governed by the authority of God's word. And here the psalmist shows us another valuable benefit of God's word is that it gives us something to allow our lives to be governed by so that we handle situations, especially hard situations in life properly. If we can say to ourselves at the end of the day, like that beautiful question in the book of Galatians, nevertheless, what does the scripture say? That verse has saved me from idiocy so many times in my life. I can't tell you it has every time, but th that question, nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Because that verse brings us to that awareness again of no matter what others are saying, no matter what this person's perspective is or that person's view is or what your own view is or your own perspective is or how you want to respond or what you feel right that you're allowed to. Nevertheless, the governing authoritative thing over our life is the word of God. And if we always say to ourselves, but I did not forsake, he says, your precepts. Lord, I let your word govern my life. And that is a safe and a very helpful thing if you don't forsake God's precepts. Make God's word the governing authority in your life and don't ever forsake that. Always submit to the scripture and you will always find yourself on the proper end of navigating life properly and especially hard and difficult or sensitive situations. He says, verse 88, as he feels beaten down and like he's fainting and like his life's almost coming to an end, he says, Lord, please revive me according to your loving kindness. Lord, restore life. Rejuvenate me, Lord, spiritually. Revive me inwardly. Bring personal revival to my spirit, he says, so that I may keep the testimony of your mouth. You know, amazing to see how many times we keep seeing this word revive me in this statement, revive me showing up in this psalm in connection to the word of God, because the greatest avenue for genuine spiritual revival personally is the word of God, is letting the incorruptible seed of the spirit inspired God breathed word go into our life and the power that it has to revive us to bring personal revival into our lives, to bring corporate revival among God's people. He says, oh, according to your loving kindness, Lord, you know I'm beaten and, and downtrodden. I'm in the pits. I feel like I just, Lord, there's nothing left in me, but revive me, he says, according to your loving kindness. And again, no doubt he's thinking of the, the value of God's word and how it can do that in our life. 
Verse 89, this is certainly one worthy of circling or keeping special note of. He says, Psalm 119, verse 89, forever, your translation may say eternally, and that's the idea there, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. So here he makes this declaration that God's word is firmly established and it's unchangeable. It's immutable. It is something that cannot be altered. So no matter how clever a human being may think they are, no matter how much people want to contend against the truths of God's word, no matter how much people want to say, hey, well, we've become enlightened or we're woke or whatever that is nowadays and, and we have better ideas. And look, I mean, I mean that's, that's so archaic. I mean, that's so victorian it's old-fashioned it's so traditional i mean well that's how it was back then but i mean we're we're different now and again the bible says there there's, there's nothing new under the sun there's nothing new under the sun you know and it's amazing too sometimes even if you just genuinely are willing to take the time as you look at stuff goes on in the world and things that then we get frustrated about even as christians and man i can't believe this is happening or that or i can't believe the, you know these corrupt things are going on or this or that or and, and all you really need to do is just and i'm not a history buff just take a quick tour through history and you realize whether it was the roman empire the babylonian empire or this generation or that generation there really is nothing new under the sun the same things just in different ways with a few different details they just keep playing themselves out man has never been able to govern himself from the garden of eden ever and and all that's going to do is just continue to keep repeating itself and and certainly it will deteriorate more and more but, you know, humanity has always been trying to get rid of the word of God, alter the word of God, change the word of God. And, he, and, and here's the thing. God is no way concerned about that because his word is not just spirit inspired. His word is eternal because it comes from an eternal God who's unchanging, who's immutable. And his word, he says, forever is settled in heaven. So people can try and alter it on earth. People can tear up every Bible on the planet, burn every Bible on the planet and get rid of it. That still does nothing because God says, my word is settled, recorded, established, firmly fixed in the eternal heavens forever and ever. And nothing can change it. It can't be altered. And what a wonderful thing to have that assurance because everything else you notice does change, right? But what God's word says is reliable. It comes from eternity. It's fixed in eternity. And so therefore, I don't have to get you know, crazy about wondering or questioning or figuring out and well, just should I be relative? No, this is what's right. And God's very secure in that. This is what's right. And so when people even, well, that's why... Listen, are, do you, do you, how long have you been on the planet? God's been around for eternity. Do you really think you know more than God does? You know, people who want to be so aggressive in this agenda or that agenda and alter things that take things outside of the standards and truth of the word of God, whether it's gender or pick any other topic. The reality is sometimes I watch these people and I think to myself, how long have you been on the planet? 40 years, 20 years, 60 years? Do you, do you realize you're trying to say that you've accumulated more knowledge and revelation than a God that's eternal? I'll trust God. I'm more than happy to just trust God. I don't even need to argue. I'm more because his word comes from an eternal place, from an eternal God who does not change. And so important that we rest in that reality. The psalmist says here, Lord, forever, your word is settled in heaven. Jesus said, until all is fulfilled. Jesus even said, remember he said, Matthew 24, heaven and earth, all the physical creation can pass away. My word will not pass away. It's established, it's firmly fixed. It can't be altered or changed. And it's something that just has complete, wonderful, stable reliance. And again, so important that we rest in that reality of the immutability of the word of God and the confidence of the value and the counsel that gives to us. 
that we don't have to be culturally relevant. I'm not saying we shouldn't, you know, change and flex and, and find different ways of doing things method wise or connecting with people. But we never start altering the truths of the word of God or the standards of scripture to somehow, you know, relate to people or make people feel pacified about certain behaviors or changing their ways of doing things. That is only a prescription for absolute defilement of humanity and insanity. Because once you start going down that road, then who becomes the authority? Once you give this group their preferences, how do you ever not give another group their preferences? Oh, well, for a while you said that that was wrong, but now eventually you gave in and said, okay, well, I guess you're right, and I guess you were born that way, so I guess you're allowed to behave that way. Then what happens when the next group comes along? And maybe they got an even grosser appetite or a more perverse idea, and they say, I was just born this way. You told them that they could be born that way. I was just born that way too. And I said to somebody the other day, if that starts to unfold, I could very easily say, look, I was born a murderer. So don't lock me up when I kill a few people because I've been tempted to do that a few times. Maybe you don't have the same struggle, but there's been a few times. But how ludicrous would that be? Hey, I was just born that way. I've got anger issues. You can't tell me to restrain my anger. I was born that way. So therefore, I have a right. And, and God would say, no. My word eternally says you got an anger problem. You need to do your anger. You need to exercise self-control. And my spirit wants you to live differently than just what your desires are. And so, so crucial for us, especially in the days that we live in, that we know the reality of God's word settled in heaven and that we'd be settled about that because that's going to help us to live a stable Christian life and be the body of Christ in a society where we need to be salt and light. Psalm uh, 119 verse 90 says, and Lord, your faithfulness endures to all generations. Boy, isn't that encouraging? The faithfulness of God to all generations. Oh Lord, we saw what you did in prior generations. We saw what you did in prior generations. All generations. God is willing to be faithful to every generation. That includes our generation. He says, Lord, you establish the earth the way that it is, the way that it operates, all of its systems. He says, you established it and it abides, it remains. In other words, it keeps functioning in the same way the earth keeps functioning, the way that God established it. The idea is that's how his word is. He established it and it remains exactly the same by his faithfulness. Speaking, it seems, of the established order and the things of creation he says verse 91 and they continue to this day according to your ordinances just as you spoke it into existence let it be so genesis chapter one he says for all are your servants the idea there is all of creation the psalmist understood it all ultimately serves god's ultimate plans and purposes he says lord all the things that you have created and set into order he says, they are all, interesting, your servants. The psalmist understood that all in the created order that God brought into existence, how? By his spoken word, he spoke things into existence. He says, Lord, by your spoken word, everything was set in order. It continues, it remains. And he says, and everything is ultimately your servant. It's all serving God's ultimate plan. What a wonderful thing to realize as things get and look crazy, that everything, think about it, God says from his sovereign perspective, everything serves ultimately his plan. His plan. Remember Jesus when he took the disciples out on the boat and the storm began to whip up and, and things got crazy and they were terrified and they're crying out to the Lord and Jesus stands up. He rebukes the wind and the waves. The storm instantly goes calm and the disciples are astonished. And what do they say? Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. The storm was serving the Lord's purposes to what? Strengthen the disciples' faith, to get them to see things about Jesus and his power they would not have seen if they were comfortable on the seashore. But in the storm, they saw things about the Lord they never would have seen in a comfortable place on the seashore. But in that, they saw his power. They saw his glory. Again, wonderful that God can use everything to serve his purposes. He says, verse 92, and unless your law had been my delight or my enjoyment, my pleasure in my life, he says, then I would have perished 
in my affliction. So he's speaking of how God's word sustained him. He said, I would have perished, Lord, if I didn't find some fulfillment and enjoyment in your word, because it seems life was not good. But it was the word of the Lord that was sustaining him. And how wonderful that God's word does that so often. It's the word of God that can sustain us inwardly, especially in our hard times. I will never forget, he says, verse 93, your precepts, for by them you have given me life. The idea there, again, is, is given me life. They've infused life into me. And God's word does have that life-giving power when even when we're wearied in a reviving way, it can give us life and kind of infuse us with the life that we need. Jesus said it's the spirit that gives life. The flesh profits nothing, and, and his words are spirit and life. When he speaks to us, there's that giving of life through the word of God that we receive. He says, verse 94, I am yours, save me, for I have sought your precepts, and the wicked wait for me to destroy me, but I will consider your testimonies. I have seen the consummation of all perfection. The idea there, the language is, I have seen the totality of all human effort. I've seen the total work of all humanity's effort, he says, but your commandment, your word, Lord, is exceedingly broad. And the idea of exceedingly broad is there, it's broad in the sense that it encompasses every issue of mankind. I've seen the best that man can do. And he says, what I found is that doesn't teach me very much. He says, but your commandments, your word, Lord, it's exceedingly broad. It covers every subject, every issue that humanity needs, your word covers every subject. What a great resource book the divine word of God is to us. Therefore, verse 97, he says, Oh, how I love your law. The psalmist says, Man, I love your word, God. It's become something I love and appreciate so much. It is my meditation all the day. The idea is pondering it, chewing upon it. And what a wonderful thing. If you're going to think about something all day long, Think about all the things that you're thinking about all day long that you really don't want to be meditating on. Well, a great way to do that, it tells us in Philippians 4, is to think upon those things intentionally that are noble and good and right and praiseworthy, right? Well, what's the best description of that? Two things, the word of God and Jesus. And so here he says, it's become my meditation. I love your word. I just, I think about that all day long so I don't think about all the things I don't want to be thinking about. We're, our minds are going to be preoccupied with something, right? But if we make our purposeful meditation the word of God, boy, it really helps us many times with the thoughts and the things that are going on in our head to purposely meditate upon it all day long. Great assistance, he says, mentally. Verse 98, you through your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers for your testimonies are my meditation. And I understand more than the ancients because I keep your precepts. Now notice here, he begins to speak about the incredible wisdom that can be gleaned from God's word. The incredible amounts of understanding we can get from the truths spiritually inspired in the word of God as we study them and learn them, as we let them be written on the fleshly tablets of our heart, as we let them be, you know, kind of ingrained into our thinking patterns. He speaks here in, in verse 98, 99, and 100 of that general idea here. He says, Lord, through your commandments, you've made me wiser than my enemies. Now that's helpful. Wiser than your enemies. Why? So that you can outsmart your enemies, whether your enemies are your flesh or human beings or whatever they are, the wisdom that comes through the word of God. As God's word gives us wisdom, wisdom is the proper way to live. It's the application of knowledge. It's not about knowing facts and information. Wisdom is about living well. And when you got an enemy, you want to know how to outsmart your enemy, how to behave properly, how to handle situations better and appropriately. So he says, Lord, your word, it's given me wisdom. It's made me a much wiser person. He goes on to say, verse 99, in fact, it's given me more understanding than all my teachers. Now, he's not discounting the value of teachers there. In any way, the word of God speaks of that in a complimentary manner that God gives to us teachers in our life to help us learn and to be instructed in various different ways, whether spiritually or in some, you know, 
uh, capacity of schooling or education or whatever. But what the psalmist had come to realize is that the word of God had given him great depths of understanding. Notice he doesn't say in verse 99, and again, the Holy Spirit's inspiring what's written. He doesn't say, I have more knowledge than all my teachers. Because you may never have the same knowledge as your biology teacher or your history teacher. They may have more knowledge than you do, but it doesn't mean you can't have more understanding than them. Understanding something different. That's wisdom. That's discernment. That's how to understand life and how to understand God and how to understand how to live well and live properly because there are people who may have great vast amounts of knowledge on subjects of chemistry and biology and history and philosophy and PhDs out the gazoo. And they're very poor in understanding how to live life right. They're educated fools. And I'm not saying everyone who's educated has to be a fool, but there are people who are highly educated fools that live foolishly, who, who do life wrong, who ruin their personal lives, who wreck their marriages, who live in erroneous ways. You know, the Bible says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. I am so smart, there's no God. Well, there's kind of a contradiction there. And, and the psalmist says here, the wonderful thing is God's word gives us understanding. It helps us to be perceptive people. It helps us to understand what? What really matters, not just facts and knowledge and information. Nothing wonderful, nothing wrong with that. That can be a wonderful addendum to have information as well. But he says, Lord, I've become more understanding of certain matters than even my own teachers. Those who are very smart, Lord, because you've taught me. Because who's the best teacher? God is, right? The divine teacher. And this is God's textbook. And so God is the greatest teacher. And you let God teach you spiritually by his word it's amazing the degree of understanding you can develop as a person about what really matters. In fact, verse 100, he says, I understand more than the ancients. Now, understand, in that sense, he's referring to the ancients in the sense of the elders. And that was a very, very strong statement because those who are the ancients or the elders who had gray hair in the communities and the societies, they were believed to be those who you sought learning and knowledge and information from for one very obvious reason. They just lived longer. And the, and the more you live, you just, you get to know a little bit more, right? So this was a very, and they were very strong in the emphasis of that in society. But what he's saying here is, Lord, through your word and all the understanding your word can give to us and wisdom spiritually that can be gleaned from your word. He says, Lord, even though I'm not like the ancients and the elders yet, I don't have a bunch of life experience like they do. But some of them have life experience, but maybe because they neglected God or they neglected God's word. He says, I have more understanding than even some of the ancients who rejected God. And they may be very old experientially, but he says they lack understanding. And Lord, your word has given me all this wonderful understanding. What a wonderful thing to have that value come into your life and my life through getting to know the word of God and God speaking to us in those ways. He says, verse 101, I've strained my feet from every evil way that I might keep your word. Again, sin either keeps you from this book or this book keeps you from sin, right? And so he says, I've restrained my feet from walking in the evil way. Why? Because I want to walk in a righteous way. I want to keep your word. It's amazing how motivation to keep God's word proactively to read it and say, I want to live that way can keep you from a lot of bad and rotten and dumb things in life, right? He says, I find that I'm restraining my feet from the evil way because I'm trying to keep your word intentionally. And as you live God's way, you have to restrain from going the wrong way because you're going the right way according to scripture. 102, he says, and I've not departed from your judgments for you yourself have taught me. Again, notice who he said he learned from. You yourself, God, you've taught me. You know, what a wonderful thing to just sit alone with the word of God and let the Holy Spirit teach you. The very author, as we've said before, the very author of this book resides inside of you. The author of the word of God, the spirit of God lives inside of you. He can teach you and reveal things to you about the word of God to show you things, to let you learn things. He says, Lord, you've taught me wonderful things spiritually. God can teach us 
By his spirit, he says, 103, how sweet are your words to my taste. Lord, it's just sweeter than honey to my mouth. He says, Lord, I just, such an enjoyment. It's not a drudgery. He says, your word is like sweet honey. There was nothing sweeter in that day than honey to the ancient people. And so he's just saying, Lord, your word is so enjoyable. Just so wonderful to get into it. And like sweet honey, the things that ministers to my soul. And through your precepts, I get understanding therefore look at the benefit that come from understanding from god's word it's made me hate every false way and again that that gets going to keep us from the false way because god's word will give us understanding of what matters to god what's right what's wrong what's healthy what's unhealthy and what things displease god and so therefore we start to have a proper attitude towards wrong things and wrong ways. He says, it's caused me to love what God loves and to hate what God hates. It's caused me to have a strong passion, notice, to hate every false way. And again, false ways are destructive ways. And so he says, it's, it's given me that understanding. Psalm 19, verse 105, he says, and your word is, again, very popular one. We might've heard this before. Your lamp word is a lamp unto my feet and the light to my path. And the picture there is as you walk in darkness. And this world indeed in a spiritual and moral sense is a dark place. And sometimes we need guidance. And so the idea here, the imagery of the psalmist is, is Lord, when I'm walking through dark areas, and again, when you're walking through a dark area, it's easier to trip. It's easier to lose your way in the darkness. It's more dangerous to walk in the darkness. But he says, Lord, your word has become like a lamp. They would carry an oil lamp and down by their feet, it would illuminate their path. So they could make sure they were taking the right steps so they didn't trip. It helped them to see where they were going so that they didn't get lost. And God's word becomes like a lamp to our feet. It enlightens us of what steps we should take next. It helps us to take right steps and it becomes a light to our path. It illuminates the path that we should take. Lord, I've come to a cross. Should I go this way or that way? Well, the word of God can enlighten and show us what path to take. God can speak to us through the general principles of his word, or again, just maybe through a timely word that we receive. It illuminates and lights our path that we should take. He says, 106, I've sworn and confirmed that I will keep your righteous judgments and I am afflicted very much. Notice repetition. Here he comes back to revive me, O Lord, according to your word. Lord, may your word revive my spirit, bring back that rejuvenated spiritual passion in my life once again through your word. Except I pray, he says, the free will offerings of my mouth, O Lord, and teach me your judgments for my life is continually in my hand yet i do not forget your law the wicked he said they've laid a snare for me yet i have not strayed from your precepts so again he speaks of how the wicked were trying to trip him up to make him stumble they're laying a snare for him and 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 sometimes people will do that Right? We, we've all experienced that before, maybe even just in conversation. You ever been in a conversation and you can tell that this person is actually baiting me here in this conversation. They're, they're, they're just trying to trip me up. They're, they're just waiting for me to say something dumb or to say something they can put a spin on. And, and he says, they're literally trying to snare me, the wicked. He says, yet I've not strayed from your precepts. And I think what he's conveying there is, Lord, it's your word that kept me on track. They were trying to set a trap for me, but it was your word that kept me safe. And I'll tell you, God's word has a wonderful way of doing that. When it's a part of your life, when it's written over the fleshly tablet of your heart, when it's in your mind, boy, it's wonderful how God's word can give you discernment and keep you out of traps and keep you from getting snared in things or snared in conversations or drawn into things that we shouldn't be into. He says, your testimonies I've taken as a heritage forever for they are the rejoicing of my heart. I celebrate your word, for I've inclined my heart to perform your statutes forever to the very end. Notice his, his dedication. He speaks of, of the word of God here. He says, I've inclined my heart. I've postured my heart in such a way where I would perform your statutes. He doesn't want to just learn God's word. He wants to live God's word. 
He says, Lord, the learning is great. You've given me tons of understanding. Lord, you're teaching me. But he says, I've inclined my heart because I want to perform your statutes forever to the very end. Again, that's what we want. We want a heart that is inclined towards, Lord, I want to live like this says, more and more and more to my dying breath, to the very end, Lord. I want to live out your word in a way that pleases you and brings the best benefit to my own life. Psalm 119, verse 113, he says, I hate the double-minded, the idea is indecision, back and forth. Remember, Elijah said, how long will you halter or falter between two opinions? To be double-minded is to be double, you know, divided heart. The idea is you're, you're doing this, now you're doing this. Back and forth, indecision, unable to decide, unable to move in a direction, or sometimes just unable to make a choice. One day you're this, then the next day you're that. And, and he says, I hate that, Lord. I hate the double-minded. Whether it's people doing that around him or whether it was his own self. He says, I, the double-mindedness, Lord, it's, it's not healthy. It's not right. He says, but I love your law. Why? Because the law of the Lord helps our thinking, right? It gives us a standard. It gives us truth and illuminates our mind so that we can make righteous, proper, good choices. Hebrews 4 says the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing between soul and spirit, judging the thoughts and intents of our heart. And God's word does that. It helps us. Maybe if we've been struggling with indecision and we're always double-minded, God's word, the more we get into his word, the more it helps us to make good, firm, solid decisions so that we're not always fluctuating and vacillating all the time. We can make biblical decisions and move forward and when it's time to make choices. He says, you are my hiding place and my shield. You keep me safe, Lord. How? Because I hope in your word. That's my protection. Depart from me, you evildoers. For I will keep the commandments of my God. So notice he doesn't want companionship with those who are doing evil. He says, get away from me, those of you who are evildoers, because I want to keep the commandments of my God. And he knew evildoers would draw him off in a wrong direction, and it would keep him from keeping God's word. Uphold me, he says, Lord, verse 116. Uphold me according to your word that I may live. And do not let me be ashamed because of my hope. Hold me up. That's a great thing to ask God to do in your life. Notice, you don't have to hold God up. He's never counting on you to do that. Lord, hold me up and I shall be safe and I shall observe your statutes continually. Lord, keep me on your feet and, and my return to you is I want to keep observing your word continually. You reject, he says, verse 118, all those who stray from your statutes for their deceit is falsehood. You put away all the wicked of the earth like dross. The idea is removing the dross off the top of the silver. When they would heat it up, all the scum and the impurities would come to the surface and it would be removed. They would take that away as a purifying thing for the precious metals. And he says, God, there's coming a time where you are going to take off and you're going to take away all the impurities. The idea is God bringing judgment here. He says, for my flesh trembles for the fear of you, and I am afraid of your judgments. So notice the hard attitude towards the word of God. The psalmist understood that he's a righteous God, that he's a God who's holy and just. And he says, being in your word, Lord, it's caused me to have a genuine reverence, a fear of you, a fear of your judgments. The idea there, I think the psalmist is conveying is, is Lord, I'm afraid to not obey your word. I fear your judgments. The idea is, Lord, I fear what will happen if I start rejecting this, disobeying this, living outside of the boundaries of your word. And you know, I'll tell you, folks, that's a great heart attitude to have towards the word of God. To not just have a fear of God, but to have a fear of what life will become if you start living outside of the standards of God's word. And I tell you this, I have seen people take that path and it ends really, 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 did I say really yet? Really bad. Real bad. It ends in shipwreck. 
and it ends in tremendous pain when people disregard God's word. Would to God that he would make us afraid to not keep his judgments, afraid to not observe his word. It's the safest thing for all of us. He says, verse 21, I've done justice and righteousness. I've sought to do what's right, Lord, he says. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Be surety, Lord, be my stability for your servants, good. And don't let the proud oppress me, Lord. Don't let them succeed because I honor your word. Don't let them in their arrogance take advantage of me and exploit me. For my eyes, he says again here, fail from seeking your salvation for your deliverance and your righteous word deal with your servant according to your mercy lord i need mercy because i don't always keep your word at times lord so when i slip when i start to falter he says in my weakness deal with me with your mercy and teach me how to keep your statutes course correct me lord when i'm starting to fail rebuke me and in mercy teach me how to live your word for I am your servant, Lord, give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. It is time for you to act, O Lord, for they have regarded your law as void, empty or worthless. Therefore, I love your commandments more than gold, yes, than fine gold. Therefore, all your precepts concerning all things I consider to be right and again, he says, once again, repetitiously, I hate, therefore, every false way. Notice the psalmist here again speaks of his heart that God would act because people were disregarding his word. He says there in verse 126, Lord, it's time for you to act. Lord, when are you going to act? Lord, please, I'm asking you, he's praying, Lord, intervene and act. For people have regarded your word as void. The idea is as null and void. People are behaving all around me as if your word doesn't matter. As if your word's not the truth and it's not the standard. And they're, they're disregarding your word. And he, he's saying, Lord, how long? How long can you let that go on for? Please, Lord, act. Don't let humanity disregard your word. He says, Lord, please intervene to put an end to that. And then he just speaks of how he found his delight in the commandments of the Lord. He says, Lord, your commandments, your word, it's better than gold than fine gold. Again, the psalmist has used this picture before. What he's implying here is the value of the word of God. He says, Lord, I am more wealthy by having the word of God than I am if I had the riches of the whole planet, all the finest and most valuable gold. There is something more valuable in this life than tangible material things, gold, silver, and it is having the wealth of the word of God at your disposal. You do realize that tonight, don't you? You do realize tonight, and I get to say this because you're here tonight, that you're making a fantastic investment not in the stock market, but in your soul. You're making the investment of letting the valuable, eternal truths of God's word go into your soul, in your life. And that has enriched you more than if your stock portfolio went off the charts, which I wouldn't count on that. I don't have a stock portfolio, so don't trust my judgment either. But there's something more valuable this Knowing this, because that will give you a wealthy, wealthy life. Let's stand together. Let's pray.